everybody. Welcome to Comp Day, the podcast supporting young professionals of color. I'm your host, Dre. Um, this is part two. Uh, <laughs> I have John. He is Hi. back. <laughs> it's only been five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, John, just in case for folks who um, have not um, listened to part one, mm-hmm. if you can share um, just like a little bit about yourself, yeah. um, your identity, and what you do for a living. Yeah. Um, I'm John. I use he and they pronouns. I'm a licensed mental health counselor. Um, I'm a gay Korean guy. Um, and I work in a nonprofit working with LGBT young people. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, part two, we want to focus on providing resources, mm-hmm. especially, um, one in four, um, Americans, Sorry, not even just Americans. One in four people who live in America um, will experience um, um, a mental health issue within a given year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's 25% of our population. Yeah. So that's, and that's like chronic and not chronic. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a problem. Yeah. And in essentially, mental health also is like a illness within your brain, and everyone right. has. Everyone has allergies. Everyone gets some mm-hmm. form of a cold sometimes. And some people have like really bad sicknesses. And yeah. that's essentially what that is. It's mm-hmm. that upstairs. Mm-hmm. And um, when your mental health is compromised, it does increase other things to fall apart because your brain is the command center of your body. So you yeah. will be more susceptible to other illnesses and right. heart attacks and mm-hmm. hypertension and all types of things. Right. Um, so... To start this, um, there has been a lot of there's a lot more popularity around meditation mm-hmm. and mindfulness. And I wanted to help guide folks into it before we get into this because mm-hmm. some of this inform some of this content's gonna be triggering. So um I ask if you feel that you'll be triggered around discussion around mental health, mental illness, um, and or um around an array of topics such as um somewhat to do with different um experiences and trauma please um i ask you don't tune into this um because i don't the last thing i want to do is trigger you if you are comfortable listening to this please continue and if you think that a friend could use this um we hope that this is helpful so i'm going to start us in a mindfulness um exercise so everyone please um bear with me so i'd like you to go to sit down And sit in a comfortable posture with your back up. And then place, um, cross your ankles, place one ankle in front of the other. To place your hands together on your lap. And I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about your feet touching the ground. And what that feels like. Feel your feet the gravity of your feet on the ground and if it feels tense, if it feels soothing, I want you to just feel the feeling that you are experiencing in this moment. Now I want you to think about the thoughts you have on your feet and to rise them up towards up your calves to your knees and then to let that feeling rise up above 
continue to rise up in your body and just think about how your body feels in this moment. If you're feeling tense, embrace it and feel tense, like recognize it. If you feel loose, feel that feeling and embrace it. Feel every part of your body, your elbows, your back, your legs. Now I want you to breathe in and breathe out. To breathe in and then to breathe out. And I want you to start thinking about your breath. To think about your breathing. How it feels when the air moves inside of your lungs. And how it feels when it leaves your mouth. Now, that voice inside of you that tells you that when you need to be excited and concerned, I want that voice, tell that voice that you are enough, that you are amazing, and that you love yourself. And now, I want you to now open your eyes and to uncross your legs. And to now get in a comfortable stance that's not <laughs> in the posture you were in. So, um, John, um, we just did this together. I'm mm-hmm. not, like, the super best at this, but how do you feel? <laughs> I feel really good. I I said this before, but um, you really do have a calming voice. And <laughs> um, I think, like, it's really good that there has to be, like, an awareness rising up and I think that's like the whole point of meditation is like to increase your capacity to hold certain things or to let go certain things. And for a lot of people, like they have to find out like what exactly triggers them. So I know some people, they can't close their eyes because they're scared of dark, like darkness and things like that. So that's not really good. They Some people need to have like a guided meditation because and some people don't like guided meditation. They like the silence. <laughs> so it's really picking and choosing like what you like. And I like a guided meditation. <laughs> I like hearing someone's voice and I like hearing like someone to guide me through that because otherwise I like can't focus. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and what we just practice, it's yeah. called mindfulness. It is a form of meditation. Mm-hmm. Um it's not from what I understand, it's not westernized. It comes from mm-hmm. the East. And um, what we performed at the end when um, I asked you to, to embrace your inner voice to say mm-hmm. something positive about yourself, mm-hmm. that's called loving kindness. It's a yeah. specific exercise. It's a part of mindfulness. It's not um, mm-hmm. the only form of mindfulness. There's many others. But the main thing is to embrace um, just yourself, to right. embrace a moment And to, if you have thoughts spinning in your mind, to let that happen. And if you do have pain or anxiety, to let, to deep dive into it, Mm. as well as if you need to say something loving to yourself or kind to yourself, to say that. Because one thing that is natural to us, we do let our inner voice say a lot of doubts and negative things. And that is actually a a form of mindfulness. It's just a negative (laughs) side to mindfulness. So a lot of people don't understand they actually practice mindfulness. They just don't realize they do it. Um, So... I would love to say that I learned this in 
a um, lovely retreat with tea mm-hmm. <laughs> and apples. And I would love to say that I learned this in um, a meditation workshop. Uh-huh. I actually learned this in the hospital. Um, I um, learned this with a uh, medical professional and mm-hmm. um, they were teaching um, us how to regulate our emotions. Yeah. Um, and this was one of the exercises we practiced every day. Um, so mindfulness is something that's important to me. Um, I Mm -hmm. actually live with mental illness. So I Mm -hmm. live with, I have, um, BPD also known as borderline personality disorder Mm -hmm. and bipolar Mm too. And, um, just to give some language to that, um, under the DSM, the Mm -hmm. diagnostic manual (laughs) um which has a lot of disturbing things in it um that need to be updated because Uh they had you know lgbt people were just recognized as not being mentally ill for being queer so yeah yeah there's a lot that needs to be updated um but what that essentially means is um with bipolar two bipolar two so bipolar one is what people traditionally think as bipolar and that's um it's a mood disorder in which you fluctuate between um, depression and mania mm-hmm. and they're they're like um episodes so you're not always manic and you're not always depressed it happens for um it can go on for several weeks mm-hmm. and even possibly months mm-hmm. um and at, and at the least amount of time i believe is several days um but dep- you go into a depression um it can be a deep depression where you can't get out of bed you're not bathing you're not eating or you're overeating um you can't focus you're not sleeping well mm-hmm. and then mania Oh, you're sleeping too much. And the mania is um, essentially a, a, a euphoric feeling in mm-hmm. which you have all these ideas and you have all these dreams and um, everything feels bigger than life to you. And you don't need to sleep that much, and but you spend mm-hmm. money you don't have. Mm-hmm. And you're not um, – anything is possible. And you may be taking um, very um, sporadic trips. Mm-hmm. Everything is very impulsive. Um, the only thing is usually for bipolar 1, it's tracked because mania becomes very destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially the worst type – the worst pre- presentation of mania is when you become full-on into psychosis and you actually – um, end up maybe harming yourself because the worst part in psychosis is not specific to bipolar um, one. It can be in other um, diagnostics like schizophrenia and um, um, all types of other disorders. Yeah. But like if you think you can fly all of a sudden and you can't fly, so you jump off of something mm-hmm. or you think you're stronger than you are and you go into like a, a highway. Mm-hmm. Um, these are experiences of psychosis mm-hmm. um psychosis is when you basically lose touch in reality um bipolar 2 what i have i do not experience mania um bipolar 2 is not tracked as easily and we end up usually living with it a lot longer before receiving help we usually live with it for years and um, most a lot of mental illnesses are not tracked for at least um eight to ten years a lot of people mm-hmm. live with it and it actually starts getting worse and worse and we don't receive help until a decade after mm-hmm. and it usually presents within your early 20s mm-hmm. um your mid-20s and then for a lot of women it actually produces within um after pregnancy postpartum depression and then for a lot of um folks that are in their midlives um depression is actually at I believe when I read it's highest among folks in their fifties. Um, so it depends on your hormonal levels, um, different life events. So essentially bipolar two is like low, a long-term low grade depression. So as bipolar one fluctuates months or weeks at a time um, from depression, not being depressed, mm-hmm. then to mania, um, 
Bipolar 2, we experience a low-grade depression for months or years at a time. And that takes a toll on someone um, when you are not, you're not necessarily, your episode goes on for years versus bipolar 1, your episode is not as long because it's, you know, once you become destructive to yourself, it's easily seen and you can't really function without support. Um, BPD, borderline personality disorder, is basically an it's a personality disorder and it's an emotional regulation um, issue. So essentially most people live between in emotions, a four being sad and a six being really happy. People live between four to six mostly. And then usually you hit like a two or a one if you're someone close to you passed away or something extremely intense happens to you. Or a 10, if you get a new job, you make a lot of money, something really happy happens. But those are, you know, usually you have a lot of adrenaline moving through your body. Mm -hmm. You either are very euphoric or you're very, um, you're shaking and you're trembling inside and or rage. Mm -hmm. Um, Essentially, folks with us with BPD, we don't have the same layer of emotional, that emotional wall that most people have. So we're highly triggered Mm -hmm. and we don't live on the four to six range. We usually live on the three to seven on a normal day and then we easily usually jump between three to one Mm -hmm. and seven to ten um and that happens and it's not like um a mood disorder which goes on for days or months at a time um our emotions flip within a matter of minutes um and hours and possibly days but we experience intense emotions all throughout the day Mm -hmm. um a lot of people bpd um really work really hard to hide it because it does um it is very difficult to navigate the world with bpd um but essentially that's one of them and then the main criteria um for bpd because you're dealing with these intense emotions um is that we have a higher risk of suicide um so we are 50 times more likely to commit suicide than the general public and i know people Mm -hmm. have um, there's also language around the usage between attempt suicide to committing suicide and like the stigma around it. And it, I can't speak for other people. I just know as someone who does experience those things, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily give a damn about the language used for it. I just know that I need support or not. I don't mm-hmm. really, um, I don't think suicide should be stigmatized just because I don't think it's, some. I don't think someone's weak if they commit suicide. I mm-hmm. think it's just, a. It's their it's their perceived only option because mm-hmm. suicide is an is a attempt of having regaining control back in your life, yeah. and it ultimately ends up as the last form of control. So I don't think it's a weakness. I just think it's particularly a certain space that someone enters into. It's not a preferable or a positive space, but it is a space that humanity hits into. Mm-hmm. Um, so that yeah, we're fifty times more likely to attempt, well, to become suicidal we um seven or eight out of ten folks with bpd we are reported to um attempt Mm -hmm. um make attempts at suicide and then um about one to two out of ten folks with bpd Mm -hmm. actually complete a suicide Mm -hmm. um we are the only mentally ill specific um, diagnosis that has suicide in our prognosis. Um, so we are known as like unmanageable and not treated easily. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I live with mental health illness. Um, so I do see a therapist and, um, it's amazing, Mm -hmm. but 
there are a lot of other people who live with mental illnesses yeah. and there is a stigma around if you're mentally ill that you can't have a career and you can't work. Mm-hmm. And or if I need to um, take time to mm-hmm. take care of myself, how do I do that? Yeah. Um, so or I need to see therapy. So, yeah. um, for instance, for BPD, I have to I tend there is no medication that um, takes care of BPD. There are like anti-anxieties, antidepressants that may support the um decreasing the symptoms but Mm -hmm. there is no medication specifically for bpd Mm -hmm. um so we actually have to be in therapy for usually for life so i don't really have a choice i have to go to therapy unlike Mm -hmm. a lot of other people don't have to i actually need to Mm -hmm. um just to make it through the day and Mm -hmm. i have to i have to practice mindfulness literally every 10 15 minutes of Mm -hmm. the day um and i do it even with my eyes open and not talking to myself people don't know i'm doing it i'll be yeah. in meetings doing it and no one knows um so for folks that um like let's say they need they're looking to be in therapy mm-hmm. there is a fear um for some folks that are working yeah. um can you kind of talk about some of the um the things you've heard from professionals mm-hmm. saying like oh i, I want to go into therapy yeah. but i'm afraid that my job's gonna find out yeah i think it's really important to kind of make a decision around whether or not you disclose that to your um, employer, right? Um, I think one of the fears is, like, you should do your research around, one, like, what is HR like? Two, what is, like, in the employee handbook? Um, We're protected under the Disabilities Act. Um, So that means that, like, mental health is under that umbrella. The problem becomes is that... um, you're protected, but if you don't disclose to your um, provider, I think, or to your employer, um, I think that can cause complications in that because they didn't know prior. So I think it's really understanding, like, how safe is that work environment <laughs> and understanding, like, um, that you have rights that are protected. So... Um, that is one way to kind of like balance that out. And then usually most places offer EPA, um, e, wait, EP, no, EAP, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the acronym stands for um, Employee Assistance Program. So they are able to help you with um, various things through your employer. Um, some of those things can be like, um, EPA can help you like with substance use disorders. Um, they can kind of connect you with treatment, um, and other things. You can also use EPA if there's traumatic things that are happening, um, um, and you need connection to those things. Um, that is one route in which you can use your employer's resources to kind of do that. So doing some research around like what is out there. Um, I think also like knowing like what insurance are you getting, what are the benefits <laughs> to getting um, therapy, those are all really important things to kind of do. And also uh, the important thing is like how help, how happy are you at your workplace and like do you feel affirmed and safe and um, but also balancing that out with if you need to work and eat like <laughs> so like figuring out like that balance as well. Um, so I know that there are some other options outside yeah. of, um, 
so there are you can check with your insurance company, which yeah. I have had to do. Um, I found a wonderful therapist through mm-hmm. actually, um, someone you've worked at, Nick Fager. He had uh, that. Yeah. Um, he has Lighthouse oh, LGBT. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a um intake. Also, sorry, it's an online platform, and it's not just for um, mental health, but it's for mm-hmm. all LGBT affirming um medical providers so you yeah. can i found my dentist through there you can mm-hmm. segment based on your insurance yeah your um location and then other criteria if you want someone that's more culturally competent you can mm-hmm. click that in if you want someone who um is certain other things um yeah and they do have rates so you'll see like the ratings mm-hmm. and how they've been rated and yeah. their pictures um i was sent to someone through lighthouse mm-hmm. um and it's been amazing. They actually transitioned though to a private practice, mm-hmm. so I do pay a lot of money mm-hmm. out of insurance, mm-hmm. and I have a deductible. But yeah. I also am on medication, so that yeah, right. it's expensive. It's very expensive, but there are um, cheap ways. So like your insurance company may like tell you these are the people that are available, and right. then there's like other options like Talkspace, which I think is mm-hmm. extremely cheap if you don't want to in person. Right. Um, but there are other options. Mm-hmm. Um. In terms of, um, so there's EAP. Are there other forms of access going on um, that you're seeing that is being presented to um, professionals because there are studies that people who have high mm-hmm. stressful jobs are being yeah. triggered at work? Yeah. And essentially, um, mental health is either they have a mental illness that's being exacerbated or they are mm-hmm. developing a mental illness mm-hmm. or um, an episode. So, like, depression, I believe, affects one in three people. Mm-hmm. And depression is just what my therapist said is anger from within. So it is ang- it's anger and a lot of men, cisgender, especially cisgender men, are experiencing mm-hmm. depression. It just presents. It's not always you're crying or sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, you could be having anger tantrums <laughs> or yeah, have a substance to use. So um, yeah. are you seeing other um, supports through workplaces outside of EAP? Um, yeah, I think... Hmm, I think, like, a lot of places are shifting their workplace culture around uh, how do you take care of your employees. Um, And so it's really important to kind of uh, figure out, like, the values of, like, the organization are really important. So um, do they prioritize um, people who have those things and going on day to day and... um, and kind of having an honest conversation around um, what are the other resources. And, like, there are probably not – I'm, like, not super, like, aware of outside, like, therapy. There could be mm-hmm. um, a lot of different groups in which, like, people come together and talk about things. Because, like, sometimes people um, – don't like therapy and it doesn't have to be the only platform to kind of like help with their symptoms so um for me like if it's like something like a mood disorder with like depression or anxiety um sometimes people are like very against therapy and they're like i don't want to do therapy and so in those cases i suggest like what are other things that can alleviate your symptomology without doing things and a lot of those things require like things that they're interested in or passionate about 
um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in the form of therapy. Um, and Or if like people have done therapy before and they're looking for other things, it can be other um, trans- transitional work in which they can do that. Um, yeah, like I think that's like the big thing I learned working in this field. There's so many different pathways to wellness and to taking care of yourself that's outside of therapy. So no, it's so true. Um, and then, so one one thing too is if um, let's say for instance, mm-hmm. so I am able to. I'm at a point. So I was my last job. I left that job because um, I was in a very negative environment. Mm-hmm. I had a very negative relationship with mm-hmm. my manager. Mm-hmm. And I already was dealing with um, mental illnesses that I didn't have actually treated. Yeah. Um, so I, it be, got really bad. And yeah. I had to, I basically was like, I got to go because mm-hmm. either, you know, and I was going to therapy. Yeah. I went to therapy saying, yeah. okay, I told my, I remember I saw my, ther- my first time in my, with my therapist. I'm like, I need you to help me stay in my job. Yeah. That's what I told him. Yeah. I said, I'm here because I need to stay in this job yeah. and you're going to help me make it for the year. Yeah. And then, like four sessions in it turned to okay so you're gonna help me like like myself Mm -hmm. and like make it through life like okay forget Mm -hmm. this job now um and i ended up changing jobs which has been a lot more positive yeah um but there are a lot of people who are going through that um issue at work so if let's say someone comes to you and says hey like me Uh oh i'm here because i want to stay in this job um are, is that happening? I mean, sorry, I'm, in your yeah. specific experience, are you seeing yeah. people coming to you because they're like, my job sucks and I, I'm um, here or my job's like mm-hmm. so intense and I need yeah. help? Um, what? Yeah, like I think people come for a lot of different things. One is like this dissatisfaction, right? People don't go to therapy being like, oh, everything is peachy and um, rainbows and sunshine, right? Um, I think it's... Someone, like, usually it's a complaint of some sort. A lot of it, I think, is the nature of, like, the times and of what we live in, right? We're in an environment in which, like, this is, like, kind of crazy. Um, the things that we're experiencing politically, economically. Um, and I feel like people's morale is just, like, generally low, <laughs> lower. And... Um, and so I think that factors into mental health overall. Like, people are more stressed. People, um, I know AOC was talking about her comments around uh, people are, employment is up because people are working two, three, four jobs at a time, and it looks good on paper, but people are struggling to make ends meet. Um, yeah, so... To that, I say, like, this is your, like, presenting complaint or, like, presenting problem. And I would be like, why do you want to change your job? Like, what is going on that makes you feel that way, right? And then an exploration of, like, okay, like, is it your job? Is it you? Is it a combination? Is it other factors? Um, And how can we kind of accomplish those things together um i think i would kind of set real expectations so i if someone said that to me i'd be like 
we can't <laughs> we can't <laughs> we can't negotiate on that right and it would be like more like okay like how can we um make things less man like less like crazy and chaotic for you and more manageable for you like what are the things that you can actually control and you can leave your job or maybe you can't so um what can you do in that moment to kind of deal with those things and until you can shift things around for yourself um so it's really looking at like accepting the things that you can't control and then with the things that you can control what can you do and then also what are the layers of support and how aware are you and how willing are you to like um take action on those things so i know a lot of people especially black people are like Uh okay i'm gonna go to therapist but i need to be with a black therapist Uh and that's a valid reason a very valid reason um I know for myself, originally I was looking for a black therapist, mm-hmm. and then I couldn't find one that took my insurance <laughs> in my area. Um, so, and I know there's a very big disparity among um, yeah. professionals of color. Mm-hmm. So I, um, yeah, Lighthouse um, matched me with mm-hmm. someone. He is a, actually a gay white man, mm-hmm. and he's amazing. Like, also my psychiatrist, my psychiatrist, a lot of information. Uh-huh. Um, queer white woman. Yeah. My whole team's white, but I don't have a problem with that. Um, I think some people are uncomfortable because they were like, "Oh, you yeah. see like a white person," yeah. and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I need the help. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna find it any way I need yeah. to at this point." Um, have you um encountered people who are um in that way saying like, "Hey, I'm looking for someone who is of my background, yeah. whether it is person of color, mm-hmm. LGBT, um, mm-hmm. gender, um, what?" How, 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 when that is presented to you, how have you navigated that? Yeah, I think it's like, I think people are looking for a connection, right? They're looking for, it's almost like dating. Like you, you want to, <laughs> you want to kind of like look for people that are similar to you, but different enough that like it, it helps you grow. Like you don't want someone that's like a carbon copy of yourself, right? Um, and I think it applies to counseling in that aspect. You want to find someone, hey, like, this person looks like me. And that is really important. It doesn't mean that. So I think one thing people are like, oh, like, there's the skills are important. But also, like, how I think people of color are really great be, or queer people of color, too. Um, that do this work are really great because they know the cultural sensitivity. And so sometimes, like, people, white people who are not informed of sensitivity of um, cultural relativism, like, saying that, like, all cultures are important, valid, and should be respected, um, sometimes they don't know that. And I think it's, like, they don't know, like, why that's important or, like, why that's um problematic and so it becomes like oh wow that's really not the experience i have and sometimes i have to reflect that to students being like hey um i need you to be as open-ended as you can i need you to explore as much as you can with a non-judgmental um narrative because uh you might not know what people are going through 
So I think it's young people that I work with, they're always look they that's why they go to the workplace that I do, because they're looking for specific queer folks to connect to. And I think having people of color in the workplace that are queer are so important. It's like, oh wow, I've never seen someone like me. And and they give me hope and they give me opportunity and they give me um a reason to sometimes keep living or to keep pushing, to keep doing the things. And that was really important for my childhood too, like seeing other successful Korean American people or even Asian people. And um I think yeah. I think people do ask that a lot because otherwise it's like, oh, you're constantly microaggressed, you're constantly invalidated um, by other people. So, um, and then you're like, oh crap, like people don't get my experience or they don't get it. So I think that dearth and that like lack of people in the field, it's also because like in People don't want to be on insurance panels, I feel, um, because the way that our insurance and managed care is operated in the in the U.S., it's not it's not great. It's not mm-hmm. a sustainable system. So it really pushes POC work workers that are in this field a lot because they're like, <laughs> cannot work like that. So yeah, um, they don't pay enough. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, one thing I think it's really hard to, um, at least in my experience, insurance was not a bad, my mom has like, um, some Mm -hmm. chronic disorders, but not mental illness at all. Just, um, but so I always knew like, okay, what it's like to always Mm -hmm. go to the hospital and how medical bills can pile up. I didn't understand firsthand how bad that was until I got sick. Yeah. And like to be completely frank, I have an eight hundred dollar bill still waiting for mm-hmm. me, and I already paid several hundred bucks already. Like yeah. I pay a lot of money just mm-hmm. to like basically live, and I yeah. have very good insurance. Yeah. Um, so there are folks. I'm sure like that's a stressor too because mm-hmm. patients are coming and saying, "Hey, mm-hmm. I'm coming because I'm stressed, but I'm also stressed because the help I need mm-hmm. costs so much money." Right. So um. Have you seen um, loopholes where people are able to get support um, mm-hmm. in a financial feasible way? Yeah, I think um, the workplace that I'm at, like, we prioritize, like, undocumented folks, trans people that can't afford it. Um, and, like, when I was an intern there, that was, like, the primary focus, right? It was, like, free counseling for people that can't access insurance. Because, like, how else are they supposed to kind of do that? You know, short-term counseling. And from my experience of that, um, more work has to be done. But it was really transformative because even in a short period of time, like eight sessions to ten sessions, um, you can see a lot of changes. For most people that go into counseling, a lot of it is like, how can you teach yourself the skills so you can be more interdependent for you? Um, knowing that, like, hey, when do I need help? And then um, can I access help? And then um, when can I support other people? 
those are like really important and i think it's a cultural thing where people don't understand like i don't know how to ask for help asking for help is really hard um for the loopholes like mm, some people do like pro bono um counseling and sometimes they kind of like do sliding scale so um you have to find organizations that do like where they prioritize people in that way you know nami is one of them yeah um i don't remember the acronym for but it's n-a-m-i um yeah. one of um my guests before olu was um mentioned mm-hmm. he's worked for them so nami is a um good resource and there are a couple other ones like you mentioned that folks could um yeah that can support them yeah totally and um i think I've also worked at suicide hotlines. I think they're also really helpful. Um, Trevor Project for queer people is really amazing. Um, I think also um, I worked at Samaritans for like six months um, doing their hotline. And it's a 24-7 hotline um, where people can go and um, just really talk to someone. It's highly regimented, um, meaning like, we go into this very long training and it's structured in a certain way. Um, there's also in the city uh, that's like newish respite centers. So people that want to avoid hospitalization um, for mental health stuff can go to um, these respite centers to kind of seek out support and find a bed, a shower, places to eat. So in terms of um, receiving support, it it is a lot easier, I know in my experience, to have found a um, therapist than mm-hmm. a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And um, a psychiatrist usually steps in when your primary doctor is like, this is beyond my scope and something's mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. And there's not like a lot of tests that can show you that someone has a problem until a psychiatrist steps in because they have a whole mm-hmm. other array of things they're able to do. Yeah. Um, your average doctor can't. Your average doctor mostly can, like, um, treat depression and anxiety, but when it goes past depression and anxiety, um, you have to see a psychiatrist, Mm -hmm. um, especially if you need medication that's not an antidepressant or anti-anxiety. I strongly, yeah, so it's hard because there's, from what I was explained, there's a larger demand for a psychiatrist than a psychiatrist available. So when I needed a psychiatrist Mm -hmm. early in 2018, Mm -hmm. I couldn't get one mm-hmm. because they were basically saying even the ones under my insurance, they were saying the, these people don't have an opening or they're mm-hmm. not taking new clients. Mm-hmm. And the next one available is three and a half months from now. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I need help now. Yeah. I can't wait that long. Yeah. Um, what ended up happening is I just worked with my because originally it was just suspected I only had depression and anxiety. Mm. I knew I didn't, but I didn't mm-hmm. want to talk about it. Yeah. Um I knew more was going on because yeah. I'm like I know some people who are experiencing that and yeah. I have a little extra going on, but I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. So I was like, okay, being on anti antidepressants will oh, be great. Wow. One thing that I now learned in hindsight, yeah. I wish I would have gotten um and my doctor's great, but I yeah. wish I would have seen a psychiatrist yeah. just because if you have something that is not meant for antidepressants or anti-anxieties right. the brain is a very chemical based thing mm-hmm. um you can make things really bad so mm-hmm. essentially i was on antidepressants for a yeah. year and like they have you know symptoms like you're not really supposed to be drinking on them that yeah. much yeah. um 
but I had to self-medicate. So there's a lot of information. Mm-hmm. I was experiencing a lot of depression, so yeah. I couldn't get out of bed. Yeah. Um, I had bouts where I was like, I love showers. I was not showering. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't deal with sunlight. Yeah. I wasn't eating or I was overeating. Right. And essentially, I was, like, really afraid for my job. I was, yeah. like, I every day was a struggle to get to work at some yeah. point. And um, the thing is that when you're on antidepressants mm-hmm. and you don't have depression, mm-hmm. very so also the thing, too, they have symptoms. Every drug has symptoms. Mm-hmm. So, like, one of the bad symptoms of the drug I was taking, everything was great, except it made you, um, I think when I first started, it made me a little tired and it was fine. Yeah. I could not climax. It's a lot of inf- yeah. information, but that actually affects yeah. your everyday. Like if you can't, if you now are overeating, you're gaining weight yeah. or you can't have healthy sexual activity or yeah. you can't focus yeah. or sleep. These things do affect you in the right. long term. These are body functions that you, every person has should have the ability to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like, that was, I thought that was the biggest concern. That was the least of my concerns. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize when I was on antidepressants for a year mm-hmm. and I had BPD and bipolar disorder. Yeah. Apparently when you have bipolar, mm-hmm. um, the way that your brain is wired, you are missing a lot of chemicals that most people have. Mm-hmm. Essentially, I didn't hit REM sleep for a good 11 months. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sleeping for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sleeping, but I was not having proper sleep. Yeah. Um, some people are like, oh, you know, everyone, you know, a lot of people don't sleep. Yeah. That's different. I think you can get a little bit of sleep, but it's still quality sleep. I wasn't sleeping. So I essentially, my mind started deteriorating at the end of the year. And I essentially went into a form of psychosis. Um, And I had, yeah, every I started falling apart. So like my depression came back with a vengeance. My hair fell out. Mm -hmm. uh, My weight went up and down. Mm -hmm. I was sick. I constantly got cold and constantly got sick. Like my immune system started failing me. Mm -hmm. And essentially that's when they were like, okay, the only way you can get a psychiatrist, that's what you need is I was told I have to go to the hospital and the Mm -hmm. hospital said, you have to be hospitalized. Mm -hmm. You have to go into, um, so there's a different, there's psych wards and then there's psych institutions. A psych ward is a place in a hospital that you temporarily go to. Mm -hmm. You usually get out after a couple, like the most they can keep you, I think is like a couple weeks to like, a few months at most a psych institution is a more long-term place Mm -hmm. where you live there for like you stay there it's like a retirement home but Mm -hmm. for mental illness and you can get out as well at some but it's more like um yeah it's you get out maybe on holidays you get out for specific events but um an institution is a longer term thing oh Mm -hmm. a psych ward is a very short shorter term Mm -hmm. so i had to go into a psych ward because they told me you can't get a psychiatrist the only way to expedite this process Mm -hmm. is that we have to deem you Mm -hmm. as high risk Mm -hmm. um so i had to go into a psych ward for a week and um yeah it's an experience because it was hard because i had to i didn't essentially when you get there Mm -hmm. um they take everything from you so Mm -hmm. i didn't know you think and also you can't get out when you want to get out Mm -hmm. you get out when they deem you to get out when they so They take your clothes, they take your phone, they Mm -hmm. take all your belongings, and they give you new clothes, and they give you new toiletries, Mm -hmm. and um, you basically, like, walk around with these socks that they give you, (laughs) and then you're around staff all 24 hours, and then, like, they go in, um, they they constantly check your blood pressure every Mm -hmm. morning, every afternoon, they, you know, you wake up at 7.30, well, where I was, they woke Mm -hmm. me at 7.30 in the morning for breakfast, they have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and snacks, yeah. Um, you, if you miss a meal, you have to wait till the next time. Um, staff really highly encourage you Mm -hmm. to, um, you know, 
and then there's group so mm-hmm. you can that's where i met learn mindfulness there's like drawing there's music therapy there a lot of people who were in there also had substance abuse issues yeah. so they there was aa mm-hmm. and 12 step mm-hmm. um and then a lot of people were homeless as well um so the thing is that also they come into your room mm-hmm. in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and draw your blood like every night. Mm-hmm. So I have this really bad bruise on my arm because they took it the wrong way. So oh, no. it's permanent for them. I yeah, I can't get rid of it. I have to. It's hi- a lot of hyperpigmentation. Yeah. So they take your blood like all the time yeah. in the middle of the night. And yeah. you also then there's medication time. Like mm-hmm. there's two times a day. And some people don't need the two times, yeah. but one in the morning, one at night. Uh-huh. Some people do both. Some people it depends on your situation. And yeah. you're assigned a social worker and you are assigned a doctor mm-hmm. in there. Um, and they as a collective group, along with the, um, the people who work there, mm-hmm. um, watching people 24 hours have to make a decision whether you get to go or not or if Mm -hmm. they have to up your meds or change it. Um, So essentially, also, they reach out to your job and let them know that you're in the hospital. They won't tell them why and what part of the hospital you're in. They'll just say he's being Mm -hmm. hospitalized and Mm -hmm. they then send you a letter. But that's kind of how that works for folks at Mm -hmm. home. If if you're like, oh, my God, my job doesn't know, you have to give them your job information at least and then they'll call your job or Mm -hmm. email your job and let them know Mm -hmm. um, that you're in a hospital. Um, but yeah, you have to be under medication when I was in there. Um, they gave me something I was allergic to. So my oh. blood pressure dropped immediately. Like I, like I wasn't hungry for a while. And then oh. I like woke up, mm-hmm. took a nap and then I woke, I felt really bad. Like yeah. I woke up oh. and then I almost, pa- I passed out and had to go to the ER. Oh um, they had to restabilize me. So like different medications, you may be allergic or not, they have to draw your blood usually to yeah. figure out what's wrong and what's not wrong. Yeah. If you have a family history, usually whatever your relatives are allergic to or not allergic to mm-hmm. is a similar chemical pattern for you. Um, so, yeah, basically, um, they put you on medication. Doesn't mean that's the medication you're going to stay on, but when you get mm-hmm. out, you're then assigned a psychiatrist. They have to. They will not release you until they find a psychiatrist for you that's under your health plan mm. or under a plan that's going to be sustainable. Mm. Um, they will not release you until <laughs> they connect you with one, and they have to say, okay, we'll take him. Mm. Um, there's also visiting hours, so you get visitors. Um, but, yeah, social media, no. There's TV, you all share. Um, but different places are different. Yeah. Um, so in your experience dealing yeah. with folks who had to be hospitalized, mm-hmm. um, yeah, what has that been like when people saying, hey, I, mm-hmm. like, are there moments where you're like, okay, I think it's time? Um, I think it's a, it's, it has to be a process, right? Um, it, there's a lot of fear around hospitalization. I think one, it can be really traumatic for people to enter that space, right? Oh, it's scary as fuck. It's really scary. <laughs> it's scary. It's, it's a scary place. I mean, it's scary, but it's also reassuring. Yeah. I think when you're there yeah. and you really need it, yeah. you feel like when I went there, I was like, oh my God, this yeah. is like everything you see in like Girl Interrupted does happen in there, mm. um, except like the whole breaking out to go on a trip mm-hmm. but like everything else happens in there um <laughs> that you see in the movie but mm-hmm. um but then also if you belong there like at some point i was like wait i do belong here i really do need this help and mm-hmm. i you have to be really ready yeah. and that helped me a lot yeah um but sorry um no uh i think it's like a lot of people can be, go through multiple hospitalizations and that can be really there's like a fatigue related to that and so you have to kind of have 
the client find out like is this something that needs like stabilization versus like a respite center where it could be emotional crisis where it's like i i just need a place to calm down because um hospitals have that like very sterile kind of like not the like it can feel like a prison for some people. Oh, yeah. You don't have sunlight. <laughs> right. You don't have sunlight. You You're eating have... really bad food. Yeah. But if you do go, right. juice is good. <laughs> the soups are always good. Beef, that little beef stuff they do is yeah. good. Um, And then, you know, they give you snacks. But everything else. Yeah. Oh, and fish. They don't mm-hmm. mess up fish. But everything else in yeah. there, please don't eat it. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> it tastes really bad. Um, so yeah. bad. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's a it's a conversation around trust. Uh, it's kind of like sometimes I'll notice something and I'm like, well, you're exhibiting a lot of symptoms, right? And it's your choice to kind of go. But I think it would be good for you to at least stabilize. And so, and then sometimes it's kind of out of our hands in which, like, something happens and they're not able to kind of um, make that decision for themselves. Um, But most of the time it's um, that uh, it's their choice, but oftentimes it's a conversation with the therapist and the trust around that. So I haven't had a incident in which where they're like no i don't want to like go it's kind of like oh yeah like we came to an agreement in which yeah you do need that stabilization i did ass really didn't want to go but i yeah. knew i was like i need medication because yeah. i i just went i went into crisis and i was like yeah. i'm not gonna live mm-hmm. i'm not gonna be alive into 2019 if i don't mm-hmm. like if i'm not monitored by a hospital yeah. i'm gonna die mm-hmm. um so one of the diff- difficult parts is when you get out. Yeah. Um. No one tells you. Well, when you're when you try to get out, mm-hmm. they tell you, you can't leave at first mm-hmm. until they deem. Mm-hmm. But then I felt like I had to be very performative because mm-hmm. I wanted to get out because yeah. I missed my semblance of living. Mm-hmm. So I started um going to they like go to group and mm-hmm. you know don't be problematic and get along mm-hmm. with everybody and mm-hmm. i started being very performative it's like jail i started becoming yeah. very performative yeah. to get out they sped up my process mm-hmm. because they were trying to keep me for yeah. a while yeah. um and i was like i gotta go back to work like i don't want to lose my job yeah. and they were telling you're not gonna lose your job and i was like no they're, they're mm-hmm. gonna, i was stressed um, yeah. Yeah. but then i got out but no one tells you yeah about transition, also, I was on new medication mm-hmm. that had... And when you start medication, it can yeah. make you very sick. So yeah. I was I was on the... And I mean, no, not to disrespect anyone with sexual assault. I was on the equivalent mm-hmm. of someone who's on um, a roofie. Mm-hmm. Like, I was on that. And, that. and it affects different people differently. So mm-hmm. if you don't have what I have and you're mm-hmm. on that, you will mm-hmm. be... Inca- in- You'll be passed out completely yeah, yeah. because I have something going on. I could be a, I can survive the drug, mm-hmm. but it still it still changes my mobility. So mm-hmm. I couldn't focus well. Mm-hmm. I was the experience is traumatic to something. It's peaceful and traumatic because yeah. you're experiencing other people and their trauma. Mm-hmm. I was in there with people who were homeless and yeah. who had been in prison, in jail, mm-hmm. and people who also um, had all types of lives. Some people yeah. were professionals. Some people. Um, yeah, there's all types of people in there, yeah. but it is traumatic because mm-hmm. you haven't had sunlight. You've someone's been waking mm-hmm. up every day. Someone's been around you. Someone's mm-hmm. been checking on you. You've mm-hmm. been on these medications that are new to you, so mm-hmm. your body has effects. Like I, I got a rash. Right. Um, my body went hot and cold at one point. Mm-hmm. 
Um, my throat got sore. Like a lot of yeah. different things that happened to you. Not everyone's the same. Right. Um, I, I gained 30 pounds like in a week. That mm-hmm. was like, yeah. um, I had a little booty for a while. But I, had to, <laughs> I had to get rid of it. I was like, Mm-mm, yeah. I can't keep buying clothes. Right. But no one talks about yeah. you come out yeah. and now you have to pretend. I felt like I had to pretend mm. I wasn't in this place for a week. Mm. And I had to pretend I actually had a like a more physical illness because mm-hmm. everyone's like you were in the hospital oh like you're right I'm like yeah, yeah. and they're like mm-hmm. what's going on? you don't look you know you look fine in my mind I'm like I'm not fine I'm mm-hmm. actually really drugged up I feel like mm-hmm. um I feel like a zombie yeah um I need to sleep yeah um and I felt like I probably rushed my process a little yeah. too much um I, I probably should have stayed there a little longer yeah. um it was a lot I mean and I, I started yeah. getting triggered because they only when I was in there, they were mm-hmm. like, "Okay, he has bipolar." Yeah, but then they didn't know I had BPD. Mm-hmm. And the problem too is what bipolar you can treat it with medication. So mm-hmm. I do. I, I'm not suffering with depression mm-hmm. anymore chronically because mm-hmm. um, I'm under medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes a while to change between medications. But yeah, yeah I have a good med that works. Every well, my body works fine mm-hmm. with it. But I now wake out of bed. I can do everything. The BPD. I didn't know I had it and I started relapsing. Mm. Um, and like, especially when I drank, yeah, everything got worse. Mm. Um, and also like I had to get off of marijuana mm. or cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, I was only on cannabis because I was self-medicating the year before mm. because I couldn't mm-hmm. function. I was like, mm-hmm. I literally, and a lot of people self-medicate with marijuana yeah. because it's like, if I become over anxious and then yeah. I start becoming suicidal, yeah. I'm going to do whatever if it's legal or not. Like yeah. I need to function. Mm-hmm. So I was, taking marijuana but then they're like you can't mm-hmm. take it on what you're on now so i was yes. like okay i was like whatever cool yeah um yeah. so the thing is i didn't know i had bpd until yeah. i started meeting my psychiatrist who's uh-huh. amazing i love her yeah um but the thing with bpd because everyone's like oh like what is that what does that really yeah. mean so my amygdala is overreactive and mm-hmm. that's when you're um that's the center that's the part of your brain that mm-hmm. tells you that there's danger that's the part mm-hmm. of your brain that um where fear comes from mm-hmm. it says something's wrong mm-hmm. Most people have a pretty mine is equivalent to what you have when you are like um three years old. Yeah. So everything's a danger to you, everything's scary to you, everything's mm-hmm. a problem, you're always under attack mm-hmm. and um a lot of like fear and rage come out of that place. That's where yeah. fear and rage come from. Mm-hmm. So my your amygdala is overreactive, mm-hmm. but your for, your frontal cortex when you're so when you experience these reactions, mm-hmm. your frontal cortex, the front of your brain, yeah. is filters those things. So essentially, mm-hmm. it says, okay, you're very upset, but maybe you're not upset enough to be like breaking something, or maybe yeah. this is not appropriate. Let's mm-hmm. let's lower it. So it's like a filter. Mm-hmm your frontal cortex is underdeveloped. So it's really odd how your un, your frontal cortex is not as active, but your mm-hmm. hyper, your amygdala is uh-huh. overreactive. Right. So a lot of, yeah, it, it, it creates a lot of things. The medications cross. So yeah. like I was on something and it was not working for my BPD right. and then I had to switch. Right. And it takes time. It takes yeah. time. But like, um, essentially, yeah, what, what do people, what should someone like me who yeah. should have stayed there a lot longer? Yeah. What do you do when you have to transition back to work? Especially, uh-huh. I was in a triggering situation yeah. when I got back. Like, what do yeah. you do? Like, what would you admit? Tell people this is mm-hmm. what you should try to do when you come out. Yeah, I think it's really important to kind of talk about. Well, there's so many things that you mentioned, and I want to like touch a little <laughs> bit on. One is that it is so important around getting a second opinion um, because. Uh, bipolar disorder is notoriously misdiagnosed as depression 
or um, if they're in a manic state, then they like they're like, oh, we don't know which bipolar it is. Um, I think it's really important to one because it is really dangerous for people to take antidepressants while they have bipolar, and um, because antidepressants you need a mood stabilizer basically to kind of restabilize your mood which are much stronger than antidepressants like yeah. extremely stronger yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like the horse tranquilizer yeah. <laughs> it's it's a lot and um i think it's one like having that conversation of knowing your rights around um medication and advocating for like what what are my titrations what are like my dosages and like what are the side effects like what should i be experiencing and a lot of hospitals don't do a really good job of discharge planning. So there mm-hmm. should be a plan in place for you to reintegrate into um, society again. And oftentimes it's really haphazard. So really working with that discharge person um, in the hospital to make sure that, hey, like, what are my options? Where are you sending me to? Um, and how can I get further support? And oftentimes um, they do it too quickly. And so sometimes we get um, clients in which like I've gotten clients where they're like, I was like, oh, you shouldn't be back. (laughs) Um, It's too soon. And so it's really important to, one, teach people to to advocate for yourself and having an understanding of like how long should you be there? And really being honest with your providers around, I'm scared, so I need someone to walk through me through this process. Um, I study a lot of like doctor patient um, communication, and people are really scared of communicating their fears to their providers. And they're afraid to be on medication. And medication, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, if you need it, it's amazing. Like, mm-hmm. um, like if you have bipolar disorder, if you have mm-hmm. schizophrenia, um, if you have um, it originally was called multiple personality disorder, but it's called dissociative, I think. Yeah, dissociative. If you have things like that, you need medication. You need it to survive. It's not a option. Mm-hmm. Um, our brain chemistry, the chemicals just are not working. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it ne- you just need it. And there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with it. So, mm-hmm. like, for folks who are afraid of medication, mm-hmm. it's really not. And, like, you heard my experiences. That's my specific experience. Yeah. Some people do well on things. So, like, yeah. don't, in mind, the ones I'm on are great. Yeah. Um, but also people are afraid of hospitalization. Also, another thing I was afraid of my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had family in hospitals. Yeah. Um, so, like, yeah. yeah. Um, when it's, it's, it's a transition, but it's uh, if you need it, I yeah. would say it's, yeah. But people are afraid of those things. So, sorry. Going back to it. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, to your question around um, what people need, it's, like, it. I think for your personal circle, it, it's, like, how comfortable are you? disclosing that like i don't think everyone needs to know like what you went through but i think it's important to that this is a change in your life and that this was something like that hasn't happened before right and so i think when those changes happen like um you need that support from other people so who can you like um find comfort in saying that like hey i went through this experience and this was really hard um and making sure that some people are not compliant with their medication. So, like, that's... Yeah, please, if you're on medication, mm-hmm. do not discontinue your medication without talking mm-hmm. to your doctor. Like, so many bad mm-hmm. things can happen to yeah. you. 
and finding out like what's realistic for you um, around keeping to that schedule. So some people forget, some people are not good at doing that. So what will work? And then also um, never to like discontinue without telling them. So like I've had conversations with young people. It's like it wasn't working for me. So like I think it's a lot of conversations around like what how should I expect all these different things? Um, how long should I do it? When should I tell you? And like it's like a danger, danger. I need some something else. Um because when I work with young people it's kind of like really difficult because um they don't know how to navigate they're really scared of the process um and they don't know how to communicate with their providers about certain things so those are all kind of like the tips that I have around that um yeah one last thing you want to leave the audience Mm -hmm. with like in terms of Mm. um I think it's really important to um, making sure that you're open and honest with yourself around what you need help for. Like asking help is so important and then also how to execute on that plan. And so like because some people are like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, and then they never do it. Um, And then also... Not to mix substances with your medication. No. Yeah, yeah. So I did a little mm-hmm. like you know when people get crossfaded. Mm-hmm. I tried. I was yeah. like, I'm gonna drink and I'm yeah. gonna smoke, and mm-hmm. then I was on my stuff. Oh no, yeah, yeah. no. I I felt like I was gonna die the next no, day. Yeah. I was like, no, never again. I was like, I don't need, mm-hmm. I don't need marijuana. Again. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. I mean, yeah. like, I don't, I don't need nothing again. No, no. Yeah, because mood stabilizers are notoriously not having good interaction effects with your cannabis so there's a lot of people that i know that have mental health symptoms and then they smoke and then they're like oh my god like i had a bad trip and i was like no like (laughs) you're already on the equivalent of that on a regular day you don't need more yeah so always (laughs) talk to your psychiatrist about those things like yeah well, um, I think, yeah, that's most of the time we have. Um, I really wish we could talk more about yeah. this. Um, thank you, John, um, for joining me and um, spending this time with me and sharing yourself and just really being a complete angel for other people. Um, everyone, um, thank you. Also, if you have questions specifically for me, also questions you have for John as well, um, I can filter them. Um, my Instagram is um, compday, so C-O-M-P-D-A-Y, podcast p-o-d-c-a-s-t at um yeah it's just comp comp day podcast it's on instagram so feel free to dm me and i'm more than happy to answer um the things i experienced and to get questions if you have questions for john i can get that to you or share his information contact info and y'all can interact um but yeah um please um get help don't demonize um your mental illness or mental health um see a therapist or if you need one Talk to your doctor if you need to. Take medications if you need to, and get go to a respite center or a hospital if you need to. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's just being sick. Your brain is sick. That's all that that is. It doesn't mean any less anymore. All right, everyone, we're gonna clock out.